we have a variety of different SKUs and it's sort of what I would call the good, better, best category. So we have basic distillate gummies, we have an optimals line, which is really designed not so much for recreational or let's say pain use specifically, but more we have one for sleep. We're about to launch one that is actually anti-anxiety. I think is gonna be just revolutionary. We're developing these use case specific products that I think personally are the future of cannabis. Um, but along with that, we also have our fast acting line of products. And then we have our, our live rosin, which is, you know, for those who aren't familiar with cannabis, it's sort of the connoisseur themium line of gummies that we sell. And we sell different varieties in different states, depending upon the rules and regs of those states. In this episode, I'm talking to Joe Hodas, CMO of Wanna Brands. Wanna Brands is the number one largest THC infused edibles company in North America. We're gonna talk about the marketing mix that drives nine figures per year in retail sales for this company, how to create branded swag that people actually use, and how to use social media effectively in a highly regulated space like cannabis. We'll also try to figure out exactly how much revenue they make as the largest edibles company. And if you can't answer a question, we both had to take a shot of hot sauce. Wish me luck, Martians. Hope you enjoy this one. Hello, hello, Martians. Welcome back to another episode of Marketing on Mars. Today, we got the chief marketing officer of one of the, if not the largest uh, edibles company in North America. So super duper excited. Not only is it the first edibles company, uh, are, are they the first edibles company, Wanna Brands, the first edible company to come on to the show. We had to get one of the largest. So uh, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. I didn't know that I was the, the first uh, uh, cannabis company. So that's interesting because with the title of Marking on Mars, you'd think you'd have <laughs> a couple more cannabis companies on there because that is what cannabis marketing is. It, yeah, exactly. Um, no, we, we've had a we've had a couple of direct to consumer companies. We've had one of the okay. one of the largest uh, non alcoholic beer brands come on the show, Partake Brewery. So they're they're based in Calgary. Um, one of yeah. the largest in Canada. They came on the show, but yeah, cannabis. No, I guess uh, guess we got really lucky. We got you. Um, Thank you, Joe, Joe. Thanks for coming. In. Where where are you calling them from today? So I'm in uh, Denver, Colorado, uh, and Wanda is actually headquartered in Boulder, about 45 minutes away from where I am today. Cool, cool. Uh, I, th I think I think uh, super excited first of all to have you on. Um, as you know, we're going to be starting off the show with a little shot of uh, hot sauce. What did you uh, bring as your weapon of choice today? Well, I was I was I was saying to you earlier, I was a little stressed about this, right? So I, I had some some hot sauce, still love hot sauce, and I had some in my fridge, but I realized that they were not from Colorado. So I I went and, and got some from Colorado. So I got two actually. Okay. I've got Purple Blaze from the Yampa Valley Company, um, which uh is a blueberry habanero hot sauce, which is pretty tasty. But I also have one that was made by one of my favorite uh breweries here, Scott Brewery which is a Mexican lager jalapeno hot sauce. So, oh, wow. Uh, they're out of Durango, Colorado. We got two good Colorado brands here. Okay, so that's exciting. So we'll start off the show with uh, just, a, uh, I don't know if you have a, a spoon or a shot glass or whatever. Okay, you got a shot glass. I got a spoon, so I'm gonna fill it up. I have what seems to be the last few drops of this spicy Korean hot sauce. Ooh, that's, that's some hot stuff. I can tell you I had that before too. Yeah, 
and it doesn't, get, doesn't get easier. But anyways, cheers. Well, we'll start this to show off. Well, I got my water with me too. Yeah, <laughs> you're smart. I didn't bring it's, any. Uh, well, yeah, it's got a kick to it. Yeah. All right. So, so basically, the premise of the show is I'm going to ask you tough questions a little bit later on about marketing. Things that you probably wouldn't share in public. We're going to try to figure out the secret sauce, the secret sauce to how Wanna Brands grew, and also some more. Uh, Oh, that is spicy. Oh my God. What wow, <laughs> spicy. Holy crap. And I didn't eat breakfast, so that's not going to help me at all. Uh, <laughs> I should feel good. Yeah. But first, just want to understand you. I want to ask you a few rapid fire questions. Okay. Really quick. Yeah. One, two word answers. Um, get, just get to know you a little bit better uh, before we jump into learning about water brands and also about marketing. All right. So first, coffee or tea? Coffee, 100%. Donuts or bagels? Bagels. Favorite cuisine? Really anything in the Asian category. Uh, Vietnamese, Chinese, Thai, Japanese. Favorite city in the world that you've been in? Actually, I think it might be Vancouver. Wow. Okay. That's where yeah. I'm from. For those listening. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I didn't say it just because I knew that. <laughs> wow. That's, that's amazing. Okay. Favorite game to play? Um, I think, uh, a game, you know, if, if it's like a sport, then I'd say football. But, uh, of course being a little bit older now, I don't play that as very, very often. So <laughs> and if it's the a younger game, day is football. If it's a, a game, What's that? if it's a game, game, like board online, game? online or board game, whatever. Yeah, I'm not a huge gamer, um, so mostly it's board games, and uh, we've been playing this uh, the, this train, uh, I don't even know what it's called, uh, it's basically a train game where you're collecting stations and building out rail lines and have a strategy game. I wish I could remember what it was called. I apologize. I can't remember as well. If, if anyone knows, type it into the comments. We'll figure out what that game is. And the last one. I lose, though. Oh, you do? Okay. Let's not talk yeah. about that game then. Um, <laughs> Last one before we move on to to uh, Water Brands. Who were you like as a kid? What, what was Joe like as a kid? You know, I was actually pretty quiet, and uh, and I, I'd say I was the, I was the kid that you know when all the kids were like doofing off and being obnoxious and you know whatever. I was kind of like I'd sit back and kind of watch it, but I didn't really participate. Um, so a little shy, a little introverted, but but friendly was you know kind of managed to to span multiple friend groups. I guess I would say. Yeah, I was the same way. I was, I would have considered myself a bit of an introvert. E even, even leading up to like pandemic, the pandemic, I was pretty introverted. Um, yeah. And then I started my podcast in 2020, and that just you know you're forced to have to ask good questions and everything. And I kind of learned a little bit more about my extroverted side. Um, so that's interesting because I think I read so much about people who were introverted who appreciated the pandemic because they didn't have to interact the, for you it was kind of sounds like it was the opposite right so yeah made you interact. forced me to have to 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 interact so that's interesting all right so now that we learned a little bit more about Joe um maybe let's learn a little bit more about uh Warner Brands so obviously um in my intro I know that you guys are one of the largest 
edibles company yeah uh, in terms of reach and also revenue um i don't know the exact revenue but we'll probably we'll get there later but tell us a little bit about one of what do you guys do what do you guys sell you know if you're your quick little pitch on that yeah, so Wanda Brands, uh, to your point, one of the largest, if not the largest, in North America. And the reason why that's not an exact number is it's kind of a lack of data in cannabis still. I mean, there are some sales figures, but not for every state. and Each state varies. And so it's really hard to say, like, who is the biggest. But we're in 14 states plus Canada. Canada is a, a huge market for us. Um, we have a significant amount of market share in Canada. And we have been around since 2010, started in Colorado. And early days, this was when medical... Marijuana was approved in Colorado before adult use. Um, we really experimented with a number of different products and formats. We, we did jerky for a while. We, we've had a hot chocolate. And we've done all kinds of different um, edible products. But early on, we hit on something that was really important. One, it was um, a product that the consumer seemed to gravitate towards, which was the gummy. And then two, as we did more R&D, we began to understand that the gummy as a, a vehicle, a vessel for carrying the, the benefits of THC and other cannabinoids was actually really, really efficient and a, and a very good way to deliver that. So we began to hone in on, on gummies, and that's kind of become our our bread and butter. Um, most of our products are gummy-based, but we have uh, you know a variety of different SKUs, and it's sort of what I would call the good, better, best category. So we have basic distillate gummies. Um, we have uh, an Optimals line, which is really designed to not so much for uh, recreational or, let's say, pain use specifically, but more... It, we have one for sleep. We're about to launch one that is actually an anti-anxiety uh, gummy that I think is going to be just revolutionary because it's very low THC. It's only got one milligram THC. So we're developing these use case specific products that I think personally are the future of cannabis. Um, but along with that, we also have our fast acting line of products. And then we have our, our live rosin, which is, you know, for those who aren't familiar with cannabis, it's sort of the connoisseur premium um, line of gummies that we, we sell. And we sell different varieties of those in different states, depending upon the rules and regs of those states. I wonder if, uh, just spitballing there, I wonder if if there's a use case for THC-infused hot sauce. Oh, yeah. There's been THC-infused hot sauce for, for a long time. I think the, the real issue is if you're not a heavy consumer, two things. One, cannabis has a very distinct taste, right? So that yeah. could throw off your, your blueberry habanero hot sauce if you put a little <laughs> weed in there. Um, and then two... If you don't know what you're doing, a little too much hot sauce might not be a great experience uh, for you. So we, we like the more precise dosing of something like a gummy. You're right. You know what? Scrap scrap that. Apparently, I'm not a marketer <laughs> today, so we'll scrap that. Um, but, you, but you could call it pot sauce, though. So that's, you know, there's a plus there. Okay, we're going to talk after saying. this. We're going to talk after this podcast recording. Uh, we got to, <laughs> we're going to have to have a jam session. So... You guys are one of the, the the biggest. Let's talk. Okay, let's talk about some stats. Um, let's figure out how big you guys really are. Okay, and I'm gonna be cautious about the questions I'm gonna ask you, but hopefully you can answer these. How, did, you, did you guys raise any money? Um, any kind of no. series, series A or anything? We have not. Actually, it's one of the really great things about our company. We're we're woman founded, woman led. So Nancy White is the founder, a uh, co founder, and, and CEO of the company currently. Um, amazing woman. I could talk hours about her, but um, she managed to bootstrap this company from the ground up and we've never taken on investment dollars and we've never taken on debt. Um, So that's kind of unusual in the cannabis space, to be honest. Um, But we did have a a transaction last year where um, we, and this is 
public information. We sold, essentially we sold the right to acquire WANA once a, um, essentially a, a qualifying legalization activity occurred at the federal level in the U.S. because the company that acquired those rights is traded on um, the exchanges here in the U.S. and also in Canada where cannabis is federally legal. So they can't, they couldn't directly acquire a, what we call a plant touching company until legalization was to occur or there are changes in banking here in the U.S. So that transaction took place in October of, actually not last year, sorry, the year prior. So that then October of 21. Okay. Um, so you guys in, haven't raised yeah, anything uh, fully bootstrapped. No. Um, amazing. No. Uh, what are you guys uh, at right now in terms of revenue? Well, you know, we are a privately held company, so I, I don't disclose revenue. But I, what I can tell you is for the last year that we reported, which would have been uh, 21, we did about 300 million, a little over that probably in retail sales. Now, it's important to note that the reason why that number is uh, actually retail sales very specifically is we are a wholesale manufacturer. So that's not our revenue, but that just gives you a sense for the size and scope, how many people are buying our gummies, right? But, but we also have uh, manufacturing agreements in every single state because you can't ship across state lines. And so each agreement, each agreement has different revenue sharing numbers. So uh, even on the wholesale revenue side of that, we don't always have 100% in every market. It varies by market. Colorado is the only market where we own the manufacturing facilities, the license, and all the revenue that comes in and out of the state for, for our products. Hmm. And you guys only sell in the U.S. or Canada as well? In Canada. Um, I don't know the most recent numbers, but at one point in time, we were north of 30% of the market uh, market share in Canada. So, yeah. so it's a it's a big, big market for us. Very important market. Cool. What are the, what are the usual wholesale slash retail markups for? for well, so uh, usually we, we presume the, the retail markup to be Keystone or 100%, right? So if I sell it to you for a dollar, you're selling it for a retail for $2. Um, but that does vary, right? Some markets will discount products. Other markets will, you know, particularly new markets will try and generate as much revenue as they can at retail and they'll market up 2X. Um, so it does really vary significantly. Okay. So that gives us a little sense of where you guys are sitting in terms of revenue. Well, Rough. again, though, keep in mind that that's not, even if you, if you assume wholesale is half of the retail, we don't own all that revenue because we have agreements, different agreements in different states. So the percentages of how much of that revenue we recognize does vary by state. So it's definitely not a not an indicator of our revenue necessarily. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Well, I think you got away with that. I don't know. I don't see any lights anywhere. I don't know if no. I don't know if the marshals have, have said anything. I, I think you're okay with that answer. Um, now, in terms well, of mind, part of my background was PR, so I know how to not answer questions by answering oh, yeah. questions. So, oh yeah, should have known that. Should have known that before inviting you on the show. Um, okay, now in terms of, um, I'm sure you guys spend a lot in, mar in mar marketing. I've seen some of your, you know, ads and 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 content out there. Sure. What are we looking at? Like, how much? What does your monthly or annual marketing budget look like? That is not something we're going to disclose, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, it's pretty pretty closely held information. Plus, it's kind of competitive information too, right? So, yeah. Uh, uh oh, that's not good. Uh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so, I, I think I think this one we're not going to get away with. 
And we're All gonna right. So, okay, here we go. Cheers. I just got past the last one. Yeah. Yeah, the, the competitive yeah. space. Eh? There's a lot. There are a lot of dispensaries. And slash head. THC bread is. Oh God! It is. Oh. <laughs> do you do you see the last couple of years kind of cooling off in terms of competition because there's just been so much growth over the last you know three to five years? You know, honestly, I I don't. I in fact, what's troubling or challenging for the industry right now is there's you know it, it's pretty you know, widely known across the industry and really uh, in mainstream markets as well cannabis industry has suffered a pretty big decline decline post uh post um uh covid and uh yet the opportunities for new companies to come in and to start new brands has not abated so we're seeing heavy either the same or heavier competition in certain markets and we're seeing, you know, lower revenues as a result of um, the sort of decline post um, post COVID. Plus, like in Canada and other markets, you have complicated supply and demand economics, where we've got oversupply of, of flour, which is the raw plant material that we need to make our products, and therefore that flour is a lower cost um, opportunity for consumers who are looking for for budget type products and all that stuff. But all that being said, competition wise, um, you know, there's a lot of brands still coming into the market because they see opportunities or if they see a new state launching, because this, you know, here in the U.S. it's state by state, and they're kind of protected within that state, you might think, all right, I'm going to start my own, you know, edibles company in New York, but then all of the bigger players like Juana and others will, will go into that market as well. So you've got the homegrown, you've got the nationals, and it's competition is fierce, fierce. Yeah, how much of cannabis products, call it gummies or anything? Are sold in uh, retail uh, locations nowadays versus just straight up online where they just deliver straight to your door. Because I know Vancouver pretty much legalized and we have a lot of dispensaries everywhere. How much of it, um, how much do you reckon across the US are retail versus so, online? So part of the question you're asking is related to the regulations of on, on a state-by-state -state basis. As of today, the only market that has a robust direct consumer platform really is California. All the other markets, Colorado included, they've begun to to try some elements of delivery, but it's not a direct consumer model because of the way that it's regulated in the back end. You have to have a physical brick and mortar store uh, in order to have the the you know the products um, stored properly, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not direct consumer in any state other than California. So the the, the shorter answer to your question is 95%, 90% of uh, products are still purchased in dispensaries. And I would say probably it's not too far off for Canada either. I mean, there's a ton of uh, retail footprints and people tend to want to buy that way because there's so much education that has to occur. So the consumer that knows exactly what they want, they buy the same thing over and over, that model, the delivery model, the direct consumer works. For someone who's not sure or they're interested in experimenting, going into the store and talking to the butt tender and seeing the variety of products is really helpful. Right. That's true. That's true. Um, so going back to the last question where we took a shot of hot sauce, it's still on my tongue, like right there. Uh, <laughs> we couldn't talk about the budget. Totally fine. What channels are you spending money on? Not talking about the specific number that you're, that you're spending or the, or the budget, but what 
four or five channels do you think you spend most of your marketing budget on? Yeah. And, you know, uh, the, the biggest one, there, there's two biggest. It, it's easy. And it's crazy because it's it sounds so old school, but swag is probably my biggest line item. Yeah. We spend a ton of uh, money on shirts and, and hats and, you know, all kinds of materials that go either direct to consumer or they go to the uh, butt tuners or the buyers in the stores. It is the currency of this of this industry. You have to have really significant um, swag to to be able to to gain attention. Plus, it's also one of the platforms that interestingly allows us to make, I don't want to say skirt some of the marketing rules, but um, many states don't say that you can't have your logo on a shirt. They say you can't have it, you know, in this location, that location, wherever else, but sweatshirt, hat, that's that's okay, right? So that's a good form of currency for us. So that's a big one. And then, and then in-store. So everything from education, big, big, big piece of what we do, educating bud tuners, edu- educating consumers, um, tremendous amount of content on our website that's all education-focused, but also um, how do we display in-store, what materials are we using in-store to, to bring visibility? Because to your, the point about competition, if you walk into a dispensary, most dispensaries have a ton of products, right? And so um, Juana's job, I mean, we rely, of course, on our reputation as a well-known and reputable brand, a trusted brand, but when someone walks in that store, I want them to go, oh, you guys have Juana, I see it right there. Or you have a new SKU for Juana. Um, that's the one I want, right? So we spend a lot on the in-store, the point of sale as well. Okay. How much of your budget percentage, rough percentage, do you think you're spending on swag versus the in-store educational content? You know, uh, I'd say swag is probably roughly in the 30% range. In-store is probably 20%. And then everything else is, you know, advertising, um, trade shows, um, you know, advertising encompassing mostly digital, but, you know, some print, print for a long time for cannabis was still pretty much top dog. And I think that's changing a little bit. Um, with things like Twitter finally coming around a little bit on on some of the canvas advertising, you still don't have access to Google and, and the majority of social, um, paid social, but um, we do a lot of programmatic um, digital. And uh, and then, you know, I would say lastly is um, focusing on on the technology platforms that we use, right? Rarely for education, um, but allows us to, to get our information out to a broader number of um, dispensaries, bud tenders, and consumers. And it's something that I think other industries, I, they don't look at education, education as a uh, an awareness vehicle, but, but we do. Um, so I have to look at how am I getting our training to, you know, 30,000 bud tenders across the country um, on any given day, because it's, you know, either A, it's going to um, convince them that we're the product that they want to sell, or B, at least it's going to make them want to aware and so I do look at it as an awareness tool and actually a lower CPM than digital advertising. Okay. We'll dive into programmatic in a second. We might talk about events as well. But I want to go up to your first top line item swag. Out of all the industries, I think cannabis swag is the most interesting <laughs> because what, what you have is um, it's almost like a cult-like following. If anyone was wearing cannabis swag you know that they're diehard about cannabis but so i want to i want to hear your thoughts on that and but there also is an evolution right because in the past it was all the young guys 20 to 30 maybe even early like below like 19 20 year olds that were consuming cannabis now you're having more professionals people that are 30 40 maybe even older consuming do you have to did you have to adjust uh 
as one of the largest companies, did you have to adjust the types of swag sure. you're creating as well to to kind of uh, I don't know, target a different audience? That's a great question. And, and the way you just described it is, I think, 100% accurate. Um, but, you know, for, for, for Wana, I'm going to use probably uh, an inappropriate term here, but early on in the cannabis industry, there's a lot of what I call boobs and bongs, right? So mm-hmm. it's scantily clad women and people getting high, taking big bong rips. And that was, you know, marking, not for Wana, but for, for many companies, right? Yeah. Wana never really did that, first of all, because we were women-owned. Um, but secondly, because that was never our gig, right? We were always about the quality and the consistency of what the plant can do for people. And so when you say that we have to change it, not so much. But what we did do is we consciously have, you know, some of our uh, our swag when we do our own original designs outside of a logo uh, type T-shirt. But when we do our own original um, artwork, um, we really what we don't go heavy into pot leaves and things like that. We, we focus more on the messaging, like keep hope high where the towel lines are used a lot in our clothing, right? That's a good one. It's, it's, it's subtle. It's not like, give me, I'm wearing a marijuana shirt. You know, it's, it's, it's allows people to, I think, wear our, our gear proudly um, and to feel like it's part of a cultural change and not necessarily, Hey, I like to get high. And, and so, you know, now where we take those and what, what materials we put them on um, is a little bit different as well. So, um, skewing a little bit younger, actually, we have a, uh, we did a, I don't want to call it a collab because it wasn't official. We went through their corporate program. But we have a Cotopaxi uh, fanny pack that people absolutely love. It's branded, Literally. just the Wana logo and it's Cotopaxi and that fanny pack, man, they, it kills it everywhere we go. Wow. Um, but that does skew a little bit younger. I'm, I'm not wearing fanny packs. That's not my, <laughs> that's not my jam, but, uh, but, you know, but there are a lot of people do. So we, we really do try to have a variety of products. We, you know, have great hoodies that, really span, you know, multiple generations. And then we have stuff like I just mentioned. I mean, then we'll get, you know, um, smaller uh, items that are maybe a little bit more geared towards that, that heady crowd that's looking for lighters and things like that. So. Uh, uh, and, and it, even for the hoodies, are they also, do they have a huge kind of keep hope high kind of thing? Or did you ever have things that are more subtle, just a logo or like a, like a kind of motivational quote or whatever? We do. In fact, I, if it was a, a colder day out here in Colorado, not that I'm asking for that because I'm, I'm happy that we're moving into spring here, but um, <laughs> our, our black hoodie, I love. It's just white Wana logo right there. Not, you know, obnoxious. Our logo is fairly unassuming as well. So it'd be one of those shirts, those uh, sweatshirts where if you know, you know, kind of a thing, right? Um, but it doesn't it doesn't scream marijuana. Um, and we try to make our, our, our gear pretty subtle and pretty... Um, uh, multi-generational when we can and i think it really uh, served you guys well um you know, you know whether it's because your founder was a woman or whatever the strategy was then you guys focus on equality and kind of uh a message that pertains to everybody because there's been a huge movement towards the lbtg uh q or whatever i can't say the the lgbtq uh, yeah that that's a acronym and and just the movement towards equality, uh, I think there's um, you know and people of color, and I think your your guys' messaging really does hit a lot of different chords and pertains and, and kind of yeah it, it it matches with a lot of what uh, people's ethos, right? I I appreciate you noticing that because it, it it truly does, and and it's not for us. It's not marketing. We live it and breathe it, and I can tell you that 
Um, when we do posts, we've done posts, you know, and we're about to do something pretty significant on the LGBTQ side in terms of a statement we're going to be making on this week. And I know, and I've had a discussion with my team. I said, we're going to get trolls and we're going to get, you know, I, I see all the time when we post anything that is, according to them, woke, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is a phrase, a term of a lot of people. Um, we get a lot of really negative feedback. Oh, I didn't know why I was so woke. I'm never buying your products again. Wow. And, you know, the truth is, is that my feeling as a marketer, as a CMO is if I don't, if I don't stand for something, even if I lose some people, then I'm probably not doing a good job. I want people to know who we are. And it comes from our, you know, inside, like all of us are hundred percent aligned on who we are as a company and, and what we believe philosophically in terms of equality and in terms of the power of this plant. So when we post things like that, we're not, we're not doing it blindly. We know we're going to lose some people. We're going to piss some people off, but our answer to them is good luck. Go find another gummy then. Yeah, exactly. Okay, now switching over. So, so I'm I'm assuming social media, social media, you guys post quite often as well. I've seen some stuff on there. Um, is that a huge percentage of you guys' spend as well? No, it's not because it's uh, we can't do anything uh, paid on social. So all of our social is organic. Um, so there is the headcount, right, in terms of who I have managing, and then there's cost for maybe something creative that we'll put into it. But in terms of um, actual budget, doesn't really go to that. He has to do a lot of influencer stuff or user-generated content as well, or just very we've, safe content. We've dipped our toes in that a little bit. Um, I, I I have yet to find a, a cannabis influencer that can really um, drive um, significant ROI life for us. So we've done it a few times with you know Comedian and, and some other cannabis specific influencers. Um, we actually just recently um, had a, a great shout out from Charlemagne the God. Uh, yeah. uh, and that was that was great. Uh, we used that quite a bit. Now that was that was organic. He didn't we didn't pay him. He just happened to mention our products on one of the podcasts he was on. But um, the um, but for the most part our user user generated content is coming from butt tenders. Um, we work with a minority owned company out of New Jersey that has been doing um, some great work in crowding a, a butt tender um, group that does uh, reviews and things that are a little more educational or more directed at this is how this product will make you feel or this is what I like about this product or didn't like about this product. Um, and so that's that's something that we utilize on our platform as well. But okay. very cost effectively. It's not a major investment. Yeah. And then lastly, um, well, actually a couple of things. Programmatic ad buys. Explain to the audience just what exactly that is um, and then where, like, what do you think is the secret sauce for for doing well in pro programmatic ad buy in the cannabis space? <laughs> I'm not sure I have the answer to the secret sauce because to be honest, a lot of what we do is at this point still experimenting and things are evolving. But, you know, what I mean by programmatic is I'll work with, um, uh, like we're working with a company called Surfside currently. And they'll, they'll purchase uh, media buys for us that match our profile. So when I'm talking about a sleep product, we watched a new sleep product not too long ago. I say, go find me people that are interested in sleep products that are cannabis friendly, that have X, Y, and Z demographics, you know, household income, et cetera. And then when a slot on one of your digital platforms becomes available, you serve them up this ad, right? Now from this ad, because I can't take them directly to a dispensary or, or to a website to sell them the product, I have to take them to our website, which usually will create a landing page for these added layer, but you know, it'll be uh, an educational landing page where if they hit the, the ad that they see and they, they, they land on this page, it'll tell them all about the sleep product. 
And then it will tell them where they can buy the product. Then I have to get them from their couch or their chair or their car or whatever to go to the dispensary to actually pick up the product that maybe they put in their cart online because the transaction has to occur at the dispensary. So it's 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 a little bit wonky. I look at programmatic as more um, awareness for awareness. us and education oh. more so than conversion because I just don't have that ability right now. Yeah, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of unknowns that you're trying to track, a lot of KPIs that you can't really track, right? Um, Unfortunately. One question that comes up all the time, especially in kind of gray markets, kind of like, like yeah. uh, supplements and everything um, is, you know, where exactly do you place these programmatic ads? Are there, do you go to aggregators? Cause you just, or do you go to, you know, specific sites, you know, two or three sites that, you know, all of your consumers are going to be on and you only place ads there. What, what, what strategy do you uh, gravitate towards? You know, at, at this point, we are, I mean, we will occasionally do a spot buy on like a cannabis endemic website that we know, you know, has decent traffic. That's not the majority of what we do programmatically. Yeah. Programmatically, we're relying on um, our aggregators to aggregators, yeah. have access to maybe some of the, the more mainstream publications that have allowed or decided to allow cannabis advertising. It puts a little more restriction on us, right? So we can't, there are certain images they don't want or certain words we can't use in some of those ads. But if we make them palatable for um, for more of the mainstream advertisers, then we we nowadays have access to several hundred, maybe even a thousand different um, media platforms that will serve up our ads. Um, and and so we just kind of say, this is this is the target, this is what we're looking for. Now go find me impressions um, based on that profile. Yeah. What about affiliate? Um it's been a long time. I can't remember the exact name, but there's a site called like Margaret's Web or something. I can't remember the exact n name, but there's a, there's a, or Charlotte's, Charlotte's Web. As one oh, of, Charlotte's Web, the CBD company. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a affiliate, like an affiliate platform where they will find you buyers. Is that, is that, is that the platform? No. Char well, Charlotte's Web is a company and they, they sell CBD products. They're probably oh, the largest CBD company out there, but okay. they probably utilize a, uh, an affiliate link program and we we yeah. did that for a little while on on the cbd side much more complicated on that on the thc side of our business so, right. and the reason i differentiate is cbd is quasi-legal so you can sell online you can do other things you can't with with thc products an affiliate program for thc products would be really challenging because it'd be difficult for me to know that simon you know uh, uh posted this article that then you know, drove to this website that then drove to a dispensary website with it, someone put it in their cart and then they went to the store and picked it up. No. I can't track that. So I couldn't, I could attribute that purchase to you. So I wouldn't even know how much revenue you're deriving if you were an affiliate firm. Yeah. Unless you're fully online and you don't have retail channels, then that might. Right. Sense, but that's very well, and, and there's a whole, there's a whole, and this would be a separate discussion for a different day. There's a whole um, world of products right now that are, that are kind of skirting a little bit of the legality by creating. THC products that are hemp derived. So Dang. the farm bill in the U.S. essentially allowed for uh, for hemp derived products that have below 0.3% THC by by weight, which is where they kind of made the mistake in terms of language. Um, so a lot of companies have gone out and figured out how to make Delta 9, which is the THC molecule that is in the cannabis bar that gets you high, right. to make that out of hemp by taking a small amount, which naturally occurs in hemp, and then basically replicating it in the lab 
And so now it is hemp-derived THC, and they're able to sell that online. Um, and then there's also variants of that, Delta-8, THCO. These are all lab-driven, lab-derived products that use the, the farm bill and hemp to wow. create products that do have intoxicating effects that can sell direct. It's a problem, a big problem. Wow. Are, are you guys jumping on this bandwagon as well? No, not, I mean, it. no, because it, A, it's still a little bit of a gray area in our mind, and, and, and B, um, we feel like cannabis should be a, a regulated product. It's not to say that we might not at some point, um, you know, we have our, I mentioned our Calm product or, or anxiety product that we're going to be launching the next week or two. Um, that has one milligram of THC. Yeah. It is not apt to get anybody high. Um, you know, maybe two or three of those would, but point is, is that there are safer products that, you know, at a certain point we may look, if we feel like the gray area has been cleared up, that we may right. look to put that into an online direct consumer model. But even then we have age gating, we have child resistant packaging, all of the things that we think make the cannabis industry a safer choice in a regulated uh, market. Exactly. Okay. So that's, so we've discussed all the different marketing channels, except for events, actually, uh, real quick. Are you guys doing a lot of bets right now? Uh, obviously, during COVID, everything kind of shut down. But are you guys back into full swing of things? And how many? I was just commenting to my team. I was commenting to my team earlier today. Like, I kind of liked the COVID period from a trade show standpoint because I didn't have to worry about that. Right? <laughs> we tried a few virtual ones, and they were like, "Oh, that, yeah. that does not work as a no. format." Right? So, so trade shows became like we're not going to worry about that. They're back, obviously, and. um and so, you know, there are a couple of major national uh, trade shows, MJ Biz, uh, MGM Pat is another really great one. Yep. Um, but a lot of them are really regionalized. And we were having a discussion today because we just did one that we've been going to for the last two years and finally kind of made a bigger leap in the investment that we made with that trade show. It's called NECAN. It's out of Boston. We do business out of that show. It's, it's a good show for us. We've made additional investment. But as we look at the cost of that, and I try to apply that to maybe newer up and coming shows that are really hyper regional because the, the markets have grown up that way, right? So we can New Jersey or an event in Florida, or I can't, I don't want to overinvest, right? I don't, I, I don't want to come in with the biggest, you know, biggest house in the block and everything else is a little tiny shack. That doesn't make sense, right? So we're trying to figure out how to right size our, our trade show strategy right now. Um, and it's, there's really no good answer at this point. So have you guys done anything in 2023 so far? Yeah, so we just did this NECAN show that I was mentioning in Boston, um, and it was it was great. But we had a big booth that we designed, and we did a uh, we partnered on a on a fun happy hour with one of the big brands out of Boston that were out of Massachusetts that we like called Fernway. They're a vape company, um, so that was a super successful show for us. Um, that's the one we've done so far in twenty three. But a lot of our our events are are pop ups. So you know that is we have a constant schedule. Uh, in every market where we're in store with our table, with our tent, with our materials and uh, helping to educate consumers and, and promote the brand. I don't know if it's the hot sauce that's getting to my head, but I thought you said pot up. I'm like, oh, that's that's, that's very clever. Uh, <laughs> we do those too, but those are at night. <laughs> so how do the happy hours usually go? Are you guys consuming um, some of the products or, or is it usually just alcoholic or you know regular happy hours? Yeah, no. I mean, there's there's the regular happy hour aspect. So we'll have cocktails because people like to have you know cocktails as well. But um, what's really interesting about cannabis conferences and you know when I first started to attend them back in 2014, I was like, I was kind of looking around like, what is going on here? Because 
people like to get high, which makes sense, right? Mm. So you walk outside the convention center, there's people smoking joints and vaping. You know, that's just part of the of the culture of these yeah. trade shows. And so when you're hosting an event for a cannabis company, you know, you either need to make sure that the owners of the venue are okay with consumption um, or that you have a space where they can consume. Um, and there were periods of time like in Vegas where we'd have, you know, there's a big conference that I mentioned earlier called MJ Biz in Vegas. Um, Vegas, before they went rec legal, they were adamant. Like all the casinos were like, absolutely not. And we hosted an event where they were literally like grabbing people and kicking them out of the casino in the event because they were vaping or doing whatever. That just doesn't sit well for 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 the, for the cannabis community. People don't, you know, they want to be able to do what they want to do and, and to yeah. be treated fairly. And so um, consumption is a big part of what we do. We don't necessarily come with mounds of gummies that we're, you know, handing out to everybody, but we, we want to make sure it's consumer that I have consumption from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you personally a consumer yourself? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, what, what do you think? Because I've, I've heard, uh, I, I'm a, occasional consumer and I've, I have my personal opinions about how it affects my work. Like sometimes it's good. Um, it makes me very creative. Um, how does it, what are your personal opinions about consumption during the work or after work to relax or before sleep to help you, you know, calm down? Like what is the best usage of cannabis products for a worker professional, especially a high function worker professional? Great question. And, and to your point, you know, cannabis, one of the so unique things about it, and it really kind of makes it tough to market sometimes is that it does have a different effect on people, right? So the way you feel cannabis and experience it is different than the way I do most likely. And it's because we have endocannabinoid systems. There is size behind it, right? So we all have our own endocannabinoid system and that's how we interact with cannabis as a, as a molecule. So, um, so to answer your question directly, my philosophy since the first time I tried in college is, has always been never when I have work to do, never when I have things that have to get accomplished, it's always my reward. It's always something I use to relax or to celebrate. It's never, it's never to avoid and it's never to help me get through something. It's, it's really, you know, that, that's, that's my reward for myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I've held that philosophy for my entire life. I, I never consume during the day. I never consume while I'm working. Um, because it doesn't work for me. Like some people love to consume pre-workout. I've tried that. It does not work for me. It just Man. doesn't. Like I wanted to because everyone's like, oh, I had such a great workout and didn't feel sore. And it doesn't work to do it that way. So that's always been my personal philosophy. Now on the work side for my teams that I've worked with in the cannabis industry, yeah. um, I hold the same philosophy, uh, but I don't dictate their own personal consumption. I just say, if you're at work, you should be able to work, right? And I've had a couple of experiences where I've seen one of my employees who maybe was was high and, and couldn't perform their duties the right way. And mm-hmm. and that's when we have a conversation. But, you know, there are also people that use it medicinally or regularly enough. And that's something that people don't really understand. Someone can have a whole joint and have a great conversation with you and be completely functional. And well, I've seen those people. That's how they, yeah, that's how they interact with cannabis, right? So I'm not here to dictate, you know, how you, live your life i'm more so saying like if you're here to work then you better be able to work and perform great work whatever allows you to function at your optimal state right exactly exactly no that's really cool um so you've been you've been in the cannabis space for since 2014 it's been a long time 
Well, yeah, right. I mean, even, even a little bit before that, I did some work with my agency with some cannabis companies in 2012. That's how I ended up in the cannabis industry, actually. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I don't know why we didn't do this in the beginning, but going to your, your background, you started off as a, an account manager, worked there, worked in, in that capacity for four or five some odd years and did almost, uh, almost a decade uh, of, uh, of comms, communications, marketing communications, uh, before yep. you became a CMO in 2014, what, at which point did you realize, Hey, I'm actually a really good damn marketer. Like, was there like a, was there a point that just kind of a top point in time, like a year that just like, you know what, I've had enough experience. Was it like at the nine year mark, eight year mark, seven year mark? Like, did you have that light switch or did it just kind of, everything just kind of naturally happened? I don't, I don't know if this question even makes any sense at all, but. Are you high right now? It might be. It might be the hot sauce. I don't know that I've ever had the point of which I've said, I'm a great marketer. So putting that on the table. Um, I think for me, um, the evolution from sort of comms and PR really happened to me when I was with Frontier Airlines. And I saw which, the, this this convergence of the, the work we were doing on the marketing and advertising side with communications and where those two worlds overlap so significantly. And I'm like, well, why am I not? you know, involve more in the, in the strategy side of this and, and kind of figuring out how best to reach consumers. And so um, from that point, you know, forward, I began to focus my my kind of industry, my career on making that next leap. And so the next move from there, I worked with Smashburger, which at the time was four stores and the role was VP of communications, but um, I had a partner on the, on the ad side and the two of us, you know, really partnered up really well. It was one of the same as far as I was concerned. Um, and then, you know, from there, I moved over to an agency again and took over the the paid media side of things and really began to contribute to the overall uh, marketing strategy. And so um, it kind of became fully realized at that point, like, okay, I am now a marketer. I'm no longer a PR guy. Um, but it was an evolution that was off. It was, it, it was created by the opportunities I was offered, really. Yeah. And by the way, Frontier Airlines, as I'm looking on your LinkedIn, that was seven years roughly into your career when you took that leap into a pretty senior position and from there it just kept going from senior director to vp to executive to evp to cmo and it just kept going but it was that seven year mark right where you kind of felt yeah well now was so you know for anyone who's listening who happens to be younger in their career i'll tell you one interesting thing about frontier is that um when i first started there it was a step back in title it was a step back in salary but I also recognized what working for a national airline meant for me from a opportunity perspective and from a resume perspective. And so I, I took that risk, right? I made that leap to um, a lesser role and lesser money because I knew that what it meant for the future. And I think that's an important, that was an important and pivotal point for me. If not for Frontier, some of these other opportunities I had would not, would not have made themselves available. That, that's amazing. Did you have a, did you have a mentor or were your parents uh, pretty like involved in like giving you advice or did you kind of make all these decisions yourself? I, you know, my parents, they loved me. They were supportive, all that good stuff, you know, so, uh, but they were not marketers nor were they business people. Um, you know, their, their, their focus wasn't on what I was doing professionally. It was just about me as a person. Right. Yeah. But what was interesting about Frontier is that um, when I first started, um, they, they offered me the role and then they mentioned that there was a guy that they had offered it to previously who turned it down and then a month later came back and said that he was interested in again. And this was a guy who'd been the mayor's press secretary for many years and 
um, really well known in Denver, super intimidating to me because this guy was going to come in now in the government relations role, even though he had a ton of PR experience. And shortly thereafter, I'm sorry, the whole story, but shortly thereafter, um, the uh, woman who hired both of us left and he kind of ascended into this role of being my boss. And I, uh, I told the story many times, but I sent him this email. I remember I was in Dallas visiting my wife's family. I sent him this, you know, long email. Listen, you know, I know you're the boss now, but just so you know, this is my area and I'm going to manage it. Don't step on my toes. And I wasn't quite like that, but, and he basically shot me in my back and said, okay, I hear you, but guess what? I'm your boss now. So this is the way it's going to roll. Like two lines, right? Real simple. That guy ended up becoming my mentor, became one of my closest friends, still is to this day, wonderful person. So he really kind of helped me figure out how to take Frontier and, and leverage that into uh, a greater opportunity in the future. And how old but I also learned never to send when, long, when he, when he emails out. to my Frontier? boss. That's a bad idea. Oh, I think our internet, is that, is that our, our internet not connected? Oh, it might have no. conked out for a second. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, how old were you at the time when you started at Frontier? So cool. That would have been, I probably, uh, I mean, I'm so old now that I got to think about that. Uh, that was probably late 30s, mid, mid, mid to late 30s, mid 30s. Yeah. I, I, you know, everyone has, you know, I, I have a mentor that tells me all the time um, success is just luck mixed with hard work, mixed with timing. That's all oh, of this. Couldn't agree more. Timing, guys, huge, huge. And that's, you know, unfortunately, you put yourself by, through the hard work, put yourself in the right position to take advantage of that timing. But timing is timing. You know, there's no way to, to figure that out. Yeah. Some people like, like, the, like the McDonald's guy, what he started, the founder who started it when he was like 50, right? Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't matter when you start, how old you are when you start. Put in the put in the work and and put 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 in the actions and the reps and you'll you'll get there. It might happen after five years, six years, seven years, whatever, however long it takes. But what's out yeah. of option? Don't do anything and never get there, right? You got two action. options. Um, all right. So that's okay. It's really cool. So want to go back real quick. There were those five channels you were talking about. I know we're yeah. jumping around quite a bit. Point of, uh, you got you got sway, you got social media, you got programmatic ads, events, all of these. What of what of these channels or your uh, or your your buckets of marketing spend? Which one of them do you think provides the greatest ROI for you? Well, for it's the in store, yeah, uh, including this you know this butt tender education piece because the in store and I would I guess I would throw butt tender incentives into that. Um, but educating the butt tenders, giving them a reason to want to sell on it. That's where, unfortunately for us right now as an industry, that's where 75% of the purchase decision comes from is yeah. I come into a store, even if I know what I want when I walk into the store, if the bud tender says, oh, have you tried this? Because it's a great new product. Or you know, or if I walk in not knowing what I want, hey, I need something for sleep. What do you recommend? That is 75% of the, of the, of the decision-making process happens in that transaction, that moment. So if I don't have a well-educated bud tender who's loyal to want to, and I don't have visibility in the store and can show the consumer what's available that, hey, we have a sleep product, ask about you know our sleep product, um, then, then I may have lost that sale through no fault of our products, but just the visibility. So that's probably the the highest and most direct ROI is that in-store and the education stuff that we do. And then in terms of, I don't know if this is even trackable, but do you know what 
like like a CPA? Like, what is the cost to acquire a customer for you guys? Is that stuff even? <laughs> I don't. I like don't CPA? have that answer. No. No. Okay. Yeah, that's hard, eh? Because then you're doing so. There's a lot. It's, of it's hard in any industry, but it's really hard for us. Yeah. What about what about an LTV? Like, what's 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 a long term value? A customer, you know, we have some data that shows you know, average customer for Wana spends a little over now $150 uh, a year on Wana. Uh, but it's it's so wishy washy because there's just multiple data inputs, and it's you know, if, if it's a purchaser buying on a different platform through a different back end, it might not be recorded. I mean, it's really hard to know. Yeah, uh, all I know is you know, on average, our products are uh, let's say. 20 to 30 dollars of retail in most states um and we have a very little customer base so you got to presume they're buying several hundred dollars of uh wanna per year so um you know yeah that's the best i have yeah all right well i don't know if there's yeah, the light is not going off i think you off the hook again but i just i just got oh. a request from one of my team members to ask you just a question that i don't know but they just said to like I got to increase the, the heat on the question. So we're going to go ahead and ask you probably one of the harder questions that we'll ever ask a, a C-suite. Uh-huh. Uh, how much do you make per year as a CMO? Oh, it's not a hard question. I'm just not going to answer it. Yeah, as simple as that. So, all the, right. Well, and I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch now. Actually, I'm going to move my jalapeno hot sauce and see uh, see how brutal that is. Oh, God. It's a little chunkier, actually. I poured way too much. Holy smokes. No, I could have been. Well, I can't get that to come out. All right. Going back to my... my oh my God, are you, man, are you being a bartender here? What? Well, I was trying to get the this one out of the bottom. It's too chunky. It's not, it's not horrible possible. Cheers. Yes. I'm not starting to do the shakers of the Easter breakfast. I mean. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. You guys moved worse than I did, though. This, this one's not so spicy. Sorry. It's not bad. that bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God, that is spicy. That's the thing does not mess around with their heat. Wow. Are you usually a pretty... Uh, are you, do you usually love hot sauce? I think I'm high from that. Yeah, I, I put hot sauce on most things, so yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that is. Uh, what's the spiciest? That's a different kind of hot sauce. What's the spiciest thing that you've ever eaten in your life? I will never forget when I first moved to Boulder, Colorado. We went to a Thai restaurant, and they said, "Well, what kind of spice level?" And we said, "Oh, we're from Texas. We eat jalapenos. Let's try. Let's try the Thai spicy." <laughs> I was regretting that decision for many, many days. Many <laughs> days. <laughs> this is rough. Rough. Have you ever had like? Uh really spicy Mexican food or really spicy Chinese or Indian food as well? Yeah. And, you know, uh, Indian is another one, right? That'll sneak up on you, man. Some of that, some of the spices they use, like, oh, you you know, you don't realize it when it's coming down, but all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I cannot get this heat out of my mouth. Yeah. Um, Chinese? I learned that drinking water doesn't really help, so. No, what about Chinese? Like, like the, the, the Sichuan, the, the kind of ma- The red peppers? Yeah, those peppers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those are easier to avoid, right? Because they're you see them, they're big, you can pick through them. Yeah, um, but it's it's the ones where it's integrated into the 
food that you have a little bit of a harder time with. Yeah. The spiciest thing I've ever had was, uh, you, you, you watch the show, the hot ones, right? The one where they eat chicken wings. That's actually yeah. fun fact. That's actually this show. Inspiration from the show was goes from that show. Um, and I had the last stab, which is I think the second last or the last hot sauce. Then as soon as you eat it, it feels like the skin from your mouth is peeling off. Oh, it just feels like it's just peeling off of your mouth. And I'm like, this is not fun. Like, oh, that's terrible because you can't do anything. Like you, you just have to suffer. Like it's horrible. You just gotta, you oh. just gotta suffer. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, anyways, this this was super fun joe um i had uh, i had a lot of fun hopefully you don't hate me after this after this show after all these hot sauce shots i made you do um no 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 i might have to take uh some tums or something later but i'll be all right <laughs> yeah but before we let you go maybe you know people listening that are probably based in the u.s and maybe they're curious about water brands i want to follow the water brand story what's what's the best way for them to follow along the journey Love that question. Thank you. Wannabrands.com uh, is is the website, of course, and then we uh, we have access to a newsletter. Sign up there. That that's where we generally keep people up to date on new product launches and new markets we're in. Um, but our social media, which is um, our Instagram handle is Wanna Brands, um, is uh, a great way uh, to keep up with what we're doing and kind of learn a little bit more about the brand and the company. If you go to our website, we have a lot of video content and a lot of educational pieces on where we came from, our founder. The science behind the products that we create um so a lot of good stuff on that website awesome awesome well this is this is great i'm excited let me know if you ever do any events or anything uh i don't know anything i, I i'd love to uh, if i'm if i'm around i'll i'll, I'll come by it swing by and, and test yeah, out some products but um that'd be great simon we'd love to have you and if you're ever in colorado you know let us know we'll take you to the facility and show you around yeah, I'll, I'll bring some. I'll, I'll I'll pack just a few T-shirts and uh, and some hot sauce, so you can uh, test out some <laughs> of the some of my products as well. Anyways, Joe, thank you so much. Uh, excited to have you on for part two later on this year or next year or whatever, just to get an update. But until then, uh, take care and thank you so much for jumping up. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you want to learn more about marketing, just hit that subscribe button and check out all the other videos we have with CEOs, CMOs, and founders. We post weekly here, so this way you won't miss any future episodes. Also, you can leave me a comment down below on what you think about this episode and also what else I can do or ask to make the show more fun for you. See you later.